0: In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free
3: job on LinkedIn.com/people today.
1: This is Broad Radio for you by you. Broad
0: Radio. Here for more.
3: It's Joe from Broad Radio here, and this here is the podcast of our live show where Angelie Rao and I talk COVID recovery, talking to our kids about consent, the lack of diversity on TV, how to be actively anti racist. We go behind the scenes on reality TV, and if that's not enough, we have our first ever cameo from a snake. Oh, my God, this show's got everything. Don't forget, for more Broad Radio, head to broadradio.com.au. My co-host today is the delightful Angelie Rao. Hello, darling. Hello, sweetie pie. Oh, love. You were one of our very first co-hosts on Broad Radio and I can't believe we we're in episode 70-something. Oh, my God. 73, I'm told, oh, by lovely Beck, our producer over not there. Not bad. Congratulations. On looking good for septuagenarians. <laughs> <laughs> but then you sort of toddled off and did a little reality TV show in the middle there. Yes. <laughs> Yes, Yes, I did. (laughs) Still suffering the effects of that. I'm going to ask you all about what it is to do a reality TV show a little later in the show, actually. I will endeavour to have some answers for you. Yes, I'm alluding to your stint on Real Housewives of Melbourne, but I'm Mm -hmm. very glad that you returned to us here and I'm happy to see you across the desk.
0: Oh, darling, thank you so much for inviting me. I always love doing broad radio and the fact that you don't mind when I turn up wearing my snuggly blanket.
3: I am. I would be shocked if you were not wearing your snuggly blanket. Really? So next time I can come wearing my Kmart dressing gown. You should come in an hoodie. You should come in your. I'm pretty... snuggie. Yes, why not? Well, today is the winter solstice, which means it's the shortest Ooh. day of the year. Mm. So really, we've just tumbled out of bed, and we'll be very soon back in our beds. That when, sounds. If we were to fantastic. follow, If we were to follow the sun. You know, get up when the sun's up and go to bed when the sun goes down. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, that would be absolutely tremendous.
0: But why would we have to get out of bed at all? That's the way that I'm thinking.
3: <laughs> that is actually my dream. I feel like everything I'm doing now is setting myself up for when I turn 70. Mm-hmm. Again, here we are, septuagenarians yeah. and going, I'm going to bed now with a cup of tea and bring me my gin by mid-morning like the <laughs> Queen Mother. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm just going to spend my life horizontal, I think. That sounds
0: absolutely brilliant. Oh, I'm, I'm there. I'm are you there making right plans
3: now? for your have you got like a dream for when you retire or when you sort of are in your senior years well by then I would have won
0: the lottery oh okay good one so I'm definitely entering this Thursday <laughs> so by Friday I'll be telling you all exactly where to go <laughs>
3: I love that. <laughs> you remind me of when I was getting married all those 25 years ago and we were really broke and we were trying to work out how to pay for our wedding and my husband, now husband, still husband, mm. he said, oh, I was like, oh, okay, husband. this is what we're going to do, okay? Um, I'm going to sell my car. I'm going to get a second job. And he's gone, right, and I'm going to try to get on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I'm like. Okay, that's right. that really bodes well for your budget. I know <laughs> <And how laughs> lofty gonna goals. Twenty five years from now, he's still exactly the but same. But why would you want to bother going through the whole competition aspect when you could just. Enter to the lottery. Yeah. Right?
0: Isn't that so much easier? As good a chance so of winning. So much easier. Is that what
3: you're saying? <laughs> Look, today is a really interesting show. We're covering some really critical and important things. But first up, in just a moment, author and journalist, Antoine Latouf, is going to be joining She's written a book, How to Lose Friends and Influence White People. Can't wait to speak with her because I'm learning so much from the book, which we have. Um, you know, it's amazing. We talked to her about how to make Australia less white. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, Australia itself is really not that white. It's less than 50%. But
0: Isn't you that... wouldn't know that for turning on the telly. Isn't that interesting? Oh, God. Because interesting it, I... is an adjective. There are other adjectives that I would use. What adjectives would you
3: use? Shite. <laughs> for noun is this it <laughs> <laughs> can be both <laughs> um and a verb um, <laughs> but it's like okay so if we were to take the logies for instance there's been a bit of talk mm. about this this week um out of the 55 person based nominations and we're not talking about the shows that might have been nominated yeah individuals seven were of a non-european background Only seven out of 55. And we, of course, saw the incredible Tony Armstrong receive a gong, as they say. Indeed. Um, He was the first person on stage to acknowledge the traditional owners. um, And he was the only BIPOC person Mm. on the stage to win on that night. And there's actually a a story in The Age Today uh, where they. Yeah, say exactly that. I yeah. mean, you know, it doesn't represent society. <laughs> not, right? not even a little bit. And you yourself have had an experience. I mean, you know, you came to this country how long ago? Uh, ten years. And ten with years. extraordinary experience of having your own show Thank you. Yeah, in on CNN. And, yes, I know. had my two shows on CNN, but mm. I'd
0: always been um, a TV journalist mm. since I, you know, left uni at 21 um, and, you know, had this... Had this great career, if I do say so myself. Mm. But uh, so I'm half Australian. Mum's from country Victoria. Um, but because, but dad was Indian. So I've got brown skin. I've got a British accent because of my upbringing. Um, and apparently an unpronounceable name. It's four syllables. Which part?
3: Anjali Rao. Oh, yeah. okay. I know. That's my practice at home. I, 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 was, I wasn't aware how incredibly articulate I am in being oh, able to pull really out Anjali Rao. I
0: know. Amazing, amazing. Gold star for you.
3: Um, but
0: so all these things kind of stand against you when you're considered um, to be a different Australian because mm. difference is not um, embraced here. And I don't know why. It's just so depressing. Um, but but yeah, I mean, sort of going back to the Logies, it's like, OK, so you had Tony Armstrong and Mel B, mm. you know, flying the brown flag. But it was so sad because the um, you know, the, the gold Logies, when the nominees were announced, they always trot out the same um, picture in the media of the nominees, except the picture that they trot out is the one missing Melissa Leong.
3: Oh my gosh. What is that about? Are you
0: joking? What is that about? So, every single face there is a Caucasian face. The only one that wasn't is not in that picture.
3: (laughs) It's unfathomable. But, and is it deliberate? A part of you feels like, well, look, we need to ask these questions of our first guest because, and I just wanted to just mention not to fly our own flag, but one of the reasons we're building broad radio is because um, my goal is to make radio more diverse. Not just, I mean, I can't control all of media, but I can do my little bit and what I know is radio, right? Yeah. And I just, you know, I acknowledge when I had a radio career in commercial radio, um, everyone looked like me. If you were female, by the way, in in radio, All of of the voices you hear, only twenty seven percent are female, okay, Mm. in the country. Mm -hmm. But all of them looked like what I looked like then, which was young, female, uh, white, and cisgender. And you know, since leaving, I was like, okay, that has to change. We have to redress the imbalance and Mm. we have to change the media landscape. So that's what we're doing. Um, And so I'm really thrilled. (laughs) Let's get to our guest. Um, I've learned a lot already from Antoinette. She's a multi-award winning journalist and author and co-founder of Media Diversity Australia, a resource that I have found incredibly useful. I encourage you to go to uh, Media Diversity Australia. You'll discover the most amazing people who, um, you know, have, I suppose, been kept by the gatekeepers away from mainstream media. So she's now written a book that is a guide to anti-racism, How to Lose Friends and Influence White People. Good morning, Antoinette.
2: That's oh, there you are. There we are. Who would have thought
3: two
2: and a half years into a pandemic that I still didn't know to take the mute button off? But there you,
3: there you have it. <laughs> it's okay. You've done school drop-off. You've got a lot going on in your morning. Um, congratulations on your book, Antoinette. I really love it. And we're going to, you know, I've got a lot of questions about how you, you, the tips that you bring, the do's and don'ts in this book. But firstly, i I wanted to say... I feel like just going from the way people speak and what you read and your friends and your networks, most Australians would say that they're not racist, okay? So as a nation, yeah. do you think we lack an understanding of actually what <laughs> racism me, Chuck, is?
2: <laughs>
3: yeah. like Do you think Look, Australians actually, really know what racism is?
2: Well, I think put simply, everybody has biases and everybody is racist and everybody can be racist, I think when people talk about and try and distance themselves from acts of racism, they think, I don't use the N-word. I don't shout at people and and cuss their nationality because of stereotypes about certain types of people who drive. They think because they're not doing overt individual acts of racism, that racism doesn't exist. But there's individual acts of racism and then there's systemic racism. And systemic racism is what happens when our, our institutions of power are gatekeepers and keep out non-white people for, uh, from having, you know, access to a voice in politics, representation in media, um, or even access to employment opportunities and adequate healthcare, um, which will which then allows uh, people of colour, black people and people of colour to thrive. I mean, so I think there's two very different things when we talk about racism, but I just think the first thing we should all do is go, okay, all acknowledge that we can be racist. Even though I'm a woman of colour, I have to constantly battle against you know, anti blackness, which is very much ingrained in our in our society and has been since Australia's brutal colonization. And so I think for a lot of Australians, we are really ashamed of our, our past or past or uncomfortable about our colonial past, but try and go, oh well that was then and that wasn't me. And you know, like I am really nice to my Sri Lankan Uber driver, therefore I cannot face it. it's this really superficial allegiance to anti racism.
3: I think too, um it's a lack of understanding white privilege or what you call the the ledge. um you know, that oh. we have and and I think I acknowledge my white privilege and, and I see it in terms of things like um, that I, when I send an email to someone and request a meeting, I know that I, I have an expectation that I'll get that meeting because of my name and, you know, I often uh,
0: change my name now on emails and I'm super proud of my name. I love the name, Angie. Mm. I'm so happy that my parents gave me that name, but I often write Angie because mm. then I know i will get yeah, an answer. Right.
3: So I think that yeah, people right. struggle to acknowledge that we have a, a white privilege people think oh no well I you know my parents were really working class or I yes. you know I struggle with my mortgage or I, I yes. and they they associate it with an economic space which and, and not there really is good.
2: there is. I mean th- there is that component but I just think um, privilege is not a dirty word and the first thing I ask people in the book to do is to recognize their privilege and we all have various levels of privilege uh, you know I'm, a, I'm an Arab woman but I don't wear a headscarf um, and so that gives me, that it has opened the gate for me to have a career in commercial television that I know would not have been afforded um, to somebody or hasn't been afforded to somebody who is more Arab or Islamic looking. And so I think it's important that we all identify the different privileges we have. I'm more privileged than the very working class girl from from the Western suburbs, from a refugee background that I was as a kid. Um, but that's okay. It's what you do with that privilege. Like recognizing it is one thing, and too often studies have shown, to your point, that people go, oh, oh, oh. But when, when confronted with privilege, it makes them uncomfortable. With white privilege, that they start to go, you know. But I, my, you know, I was raised by a single mum, and I have a really big mortgage, and you know, like, and, and certain things to kind of up there their stakes in the oppression olympics to be like oh i have certain things that aren't working for me as well um but i just think the minute as soon as we just all accept that we are constant we have to constantly work on being anti-racist all of us and that we all have some access to privilege definitely some more than others um and then go okay let's let's just recognize that and then start to actually do the work
0: Hmm. let's just talk about um the book now Antoinette. so um in writing How to Lose Friends and Influence White People, I was interested to read that you really did lose friends while you were <laughs> writing it. Why? What did they find so unpalatable about what you were saying?
2: Oh, it's, it goes back to, you know, and I hate to use these buzzwords, but white fragility. And I, I talk in one of my chapters, it's called Fifty Shades of White*. And it's like, let's just put it all on the table. Let's talk about what white privilege is. Let's talk about white fragility. And let's get you all to the point where you can be allies and advocates. There is an enormous amount of sensitivity around race and representation in the country. And that if you dare to talk about it, it can really get you into trouble. Whether we've seen careers cut short, we've seen Yasmin abdul Majid driven out of the country, we've we've seen Adam Goulds boot off the stage. So we know that we are a country that is not comfortable talking about racism and people would rather shut you down and end a friendship than actually sit with the fact that Australia has a deeply racist past and, and is it a point is it a point where we can try and have a less racist and a more equitable future and so in, in writing the book um, a couple of friends of mine who are from commercial television friends um, were just a little bit uncomfortable with my take um, and my rebuttal about a high profile white woman um, who said some racist things. Um, and, you know, my, they were like, oh, but, but, you know, I know her and she's not racist. And I was like, well, that whole, she's not racist. I'm not racist, but I'm like, it's mm-hmm. A, it's not true because we can all be racist. B, plenty of people from the community that this particular presenter um, marginalized feel it's racist. I feel it's racist. And just because of that different take, and I said, Words to this effect. It is a little bit disappointing. I would expect my friends would be actively anti-racist. I know that because means, that's all it means. After, after saying or after just saying that, I would hope you were actively anti-racist, not excusing someone as "oh, but they're a nice person." Mm. And simply for saying that line, that was the end of that friendship. Oh. that's, that's, a, just... <laughs> that's where the that's where that's yeah. where discourse is in this country.
0: That's that's the thing because you know whenever I've told any of my white friends, and let's face it, they're mostly all white, um, about the things that I've experienced as a woman of colour in this country, in the media landscape, the response is utter disbelief. And that can't possibly be the case because, you know, um, we've boundless planes to share. Oh, so, right so 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 where's the disconnect like, why do people go no 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 surely you're imagining it
2: i think the disconnect is because it then raises larger questions about things like meritocracy about mm. their position and access to power and privilege People don't want to think that the reason they got there was because they had a leg up due to knowing somebody, due to looking a certain way, due to having a pronounceable surname, um, because then that makes them look at them. Everybody likes to think that they're awesome um, and mm. that it's a level playing field. And I'm here because I absolutely deserve it. And in some cases, yes, that is that is true. Um, but there's countless studies that show, particularly in the media, what um you know, what I have a lot of experience in both as a journo and a, as a diversity advocate, the pathways are informal. It's who you know. Commercial television pumps out clones like there's no tomorrow. Like sometimes you look away and you look back at the screen and you think it's the same person. They're not <laughs> only a white person. That is so it's true. a type of white person. It's oh, a particular what? brand of white person who is slender, <laughs> who is tall, who is blonde, who is interchangeable. And so... Uh, I, in talking about this, was talking to a bunch of blonde white women who, in this whole diversity discussion, will no doubt be going, well, what does that mean for me? Yeah. What does that mean about why I'm here? And when people take systemic racism as a personal attack on their feelings, then there's a real problem because I mean, it's larger than an individual person's feelings.
3: Well, yeah. So, Antoinette, what was your? I mean, what is your response when you see something like the Logies and the lack of diversity there, and how it is just not representative of our society? Yeah.
2: Look, it's 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 unsurprising. It's also unsurprising that it was Tony Armstrong who had to do the acknowledgement mm. um, of country like that. I I just I I can't believe that continues to be acceptable. It, it shouldn't be, and I'm glad he mentioned that. But we're not going to until our gatekeepers of power. Actively address the diversity and representation issues. Like getting people through the door, let alone up to influential positions, let alone into roles um, that uh, allow them to flourish. That's the inclusion part and then be allocated and then be nominated for an award. That takes time. Mm. Uh, Right now, there's just a bit of a merry-go-round of talent um, that is the same sort of person. You often see the same sort of person recycled through different networks and across different programming and um it's absolutely not the best person for the job because we know uh when barriers are removed then you truly allow merit, merit to thrive and get more thinkers, more content creators, more innovation, different
3: storylines like just you see interesting like it. interesting things to watch apart from anything yeah. else i, I mean <laughs> I, i've always said that
0: like, diversity in this country on tv means that you're a brunette
3: yeah well, yes. we've got some fantastic comments already from, like, Ed Shea on Facebook says you've just described home and away. So, I
2: mean, <laughs> it's like... Um, and, and, and the truth is, like, television or legacy media um, is facing a business model crisis for a range of reasons because of the internet, because of Facebook and Google, because of social media algorithms. Um in terms of comedy and drama, the Netflix and the streaming services are providing on-demand content. Mm. And so the old model that they thought was working in the 90s doesn't work for a range of reasons. Least of all, because um, the storylines aren't diverse and representative because if you switch on Netflix or one of the streamers and you see content that is varied and you see different storylines and you see different characters with different socioeconomic um, disability, LGBTQI, brown stories, and it's doing really
3: well. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm, I'm nodding my head vigorously <laughs> at you. So, back to the book. Um, one of my favorite quotes from the book being anti racist is more than a label, it is an action so powerful Um, and you give so many do's and don'ts in the book it's very useful and I I really feel as though I'm going to return to the book often um, because um, this is a journey for me it should be a journey for everybody to continually check in with myself and to really challenge myself to sit in that discomfort and go okay what what is my privilege what can I do better how can I be an advocate so can you give us some tips please on how to be a good advocate for a non-white person
2: yeah, and this is just not, um, this extends far beyond just non, um, for white people, because as a person of colour, I've learned a lot as to how to be a better ally to black and indigenous communities. Because unless we get and unless we centre our anti-racism work on in indigenous voices and experiences, um, then it's not really going to shift some of the biggest structural barriers because Mm -hmm. it's Indigenous women who are the fastest growing prison population in the country. The mortality, the education rates um, for Indigenous men and women um, and children um, is still so completely unacceptable in a country like Australia. Um, And so, yes, I'm glad that you pointed out that it's a journey because it's an ongoing journey for me. But one of the the two things I always tell people to do, because it's a little bit like climate change. You're like, oh, my God, systemic racism and colonialism. Oh, my God, what can I do? Um, mm-hmm. Just like people feel that kind of like climate type, climate change fatigue and overwhelm, like this problem is so much larger than one individual. Um, and so then you just go, oh, I'm just going to give up on recycling because China is a really big omitter. You know, like that's what a lot of people do. <laughs> well, I'm just you know, you know what, I'm not going to do anything. Um, and so I, tell, I implore that um, rather than give up what you do after you have identified what privilege and power and skills you have, and stop saying things like, I am not racist, but, and I don't see colour. Because unless you are clinically colorblind, everybody sees colour. Um, <laughs> the first thing you do is um, identify a niche. Like, what is it that you want to do in particular? Because you don't all, we don't all, like one person isn't going to end Indigenous deaths in custody. One person isn't going to um, uh, stop anti-Asian hate. Um, and so what I have decided to do for example is challenge lack of representation in media because media is a megaphone for culture and it sets our opinions and it sets you know our political agendas and things like that so I've decided to focus on media representation as a pillar of our democracy but you can start smaller it can be about shifting representation in your workplace it can be about community sport giving access to uh, more people from low socioeconomic refugee backgrounds um, so to, to kind of open that pathway whatever your interests are and your whatever bandwidth you have my first piece of advice is just really find that niche and don't feel the need to do everything because you can't and it's overwhelming and you're most likely to give up the second thing to do is to be really clear about your audience like don't get into biffos with your redneck uncle darren on facebook who's never going to change his mind (laughs) you know somebody who voted for pauline hansen you know what I would mute them on social media and probably not bother having conversations with them because they they form part of the fives. So I, I we classify people in change and influence kind of um as one to fives and one's your heart agree, you know, we, you, they, they're your allies, they're converted, they tell you you're awesome uh, and they're really good because they're your cheese squad. And then you've got your fives who voted for One Nation, who are Uncle Darren, who are people who say things like, oh, all this diversity and feminism stuff is punishing what poor white men, what about white men? We're left behind. <laughs> I'd say park those people because thankfully, they form a small minority a vocal and potentially destructive, but a small minority. But most Australians fit in the twos, threes and fours. And they are a little bit interested, somewhat curious, bit skeptical, time poor. um, And they're the people that you need to convert to become allies. And so I just think so often people spend energy banging their heads against the wall with people who are never going to support and people who are never going to be agents of change. So ignore those people. Don't only hang around allies who tell you you're awesome because while it's important to have your cheer squad, that's not going to really shift hearts and minds. Um, focus on that cohort but only, that two, threes and fours, but only when you've really identified what it is that you can do.
3: It's um, it's a very empowering book that you've written and I thank you for it because you've already acknowledged that you've lost friends in this mm. way and I expect too That as a journalist, I I hope it doesn't make it harder for you to do what you do. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and and that was something. uh, Yeah, Angelique, I see you nodding because you. Oh yes, oh (laughs) yes. I've gotten
0: every time. I'm I'm sure you would agree with this, Antoinette. That when we do speak out about this, as I have, it took me years to do it because I was so afraid. But then I did, and oh, that's when the haters really come out.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. um they do they do and it's just like just to prove how race not racist australians (laughs) are they're going to come and like troll you and be racist and sexist and like give you death threats just to show you that
4: that's logical isn't
2: it yeah um thank you for proving
4: my point yeah (laughs)
2: and to be honest um in publishing this book um i had to i had to sit down and make a lot of decisions i had to make at the time i was working at network 10 i i resigned on 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 good grounds and because i had other exciting projects but i published the book knowing that i would probably lose my job um that there were some friends friends that would no longer want to be part of this journey but that was okay that um me and my family could be targeted i had to have a digital security expert kind of come on and help me protect myself and take geotags off photos. I took myself off the electoral roll. I did all of these things wow. simply to have an informed, very well-researched uh, conversation in a book about race. That's wow. the sort of... But I had learnt from those before me, like Yasmin and Yumi Steins and um, and Adam Goods, about what happened to them um, and tried to um, protect myself a little bit. Um, so, yes... But I decided that I don't want to be on a payroll of a media organisation that's on the wrong side of history anyway. Um, but that comes with privilege. That comes with the privilege of having a partner whose salary pays the bills. Mm, I that, and, that, yeah. and I talk about that. I think that's really important because the people go, oh, how noble and great is Antoinette. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> going to be turfed out. I'm not going to not be able to um, to pay my bills because I have a partner whose salary affords me the flexibility to say, um, you know, if yeah. you to certain outlets, <laughs> if, I, if I just don't think. All the <laughs>
3: right. And thank you for cleaning that up. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, so, Antoinette, I really loved the book and I really appreciate that you've put so much work into it and that you, you know, it's come at some cost. And I really encourage people to read it and return to it it is a fantastic book to help all of us in this journey um how to lose friends and influence white people check yeah. it out antoinette I, yeah. I look forward to engaging with you again soon i really Thank love you. media diversity Thank australia it's you. been amazing so we will continue this conversation
2: wonderful and i just i just want to add one thing i have made new friends right good.
3: she's not without yeah. friends that's important yeah, so i'm not without friends <laughs> I'll be friend. um, and i have made some
2: new <laughs> (laughs) improved ones just so people (laughs) who are going you know what I'm not really sure if I want to lose all of my friends (laughs) (laughs)
3: that's good to know thanks Antoinette thank
0: you
3: Well, the important conversations keep coming with the release this time of a children's book intended to be a resource for teachers and, well, I, I would say all caregivers really hmm. to have conversations with kids about consent and healthy relationships. One of the authors is a sexuality educator, Vanessa Hamilton. Hi there, Vanessa. Good morning. How are we going? Oh, well, really very well. well. Very. I'm very inspired by, and now I'm going to go out and continue on my journey as far as you know, being an advocate for non-white people. And now I'm going to learn how and to have... And we thank you oh. on behalf of all the non-white people. <laughs> but now I'm going to have some difficult conversations with my daughter about
4: consent and you're here to help us. <laughs> with so this... much resonated with that, with that conversation, with what happens to me as well, with homophobia and sexism. It's so... And wow. they're the same people trolling, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, wow. What kind of
3: country are we, Vanessa?
4: we um, to improve.
3: Tell us about Kit and
4: Arlo Find a Way, which is your beautiful book. It is a beautiful book. We're thrilled. Ingrid Laguna, who's a renowned children's author, and I have come together to write a book um, about consent because it's more than just consent. I know that we can teach little children um, and throughout their life, the decision-making skills they need to carry with them into their intimate and sexual encounters later on in life. So actually consent education for children is just teaching them about human. Age-appropriate consent education has hardly anything to do with sex, whatever that means, especially for those younger children. It's teaching them about being human because consent is relationships. It's Mm. essential to humanity. It's showing kindness, empathy, compassion and respect. It's connection, communication and safety. It's permission, reciprocity, generosity. I've got so many words. I could go on forever. And how to show respect to ourselves and others. It's wanting to be the best for yourself and for other people.
3: It's, it's a very... Um... It's an interesting thing. Even in like the first chapter that you that I read, um, you know, mm. it's a classroom situation and you've got different yeah. kids in the classroom mm. and there's that interplay that I, it was very familiar to me because it was when my daughter was in primary school, she would come home and say, this child would behave this way. And they're taught to be good children yeah. and to sort of um, just play along and, and don't push back. And the setting of boundaries I think is something that we don't really teach our kids, because I didn't know how to tell my daughter, oh, well, if you don't want to play with that child that way, it's okay to say no.
4: Hmm. Interesting. Oh, my mind's going so many places. I'll tell you a story (laughs) in a minute about my my sister-in-law read the book and what she did about her boundaries. But um, uh, that's the idea. I'm glad you said that. Ingrid is a renowned children's author. She works in schools and so do I. And so the story is a story of two friends navigating consent and friendships in about grade five and six. And all of the examples that happen actually happen to kids in school currently and the idea was that the 13 chapters and they're called things like kids glasses lego truth hot chips mm. they actually relate to 13 topics of consent and they relate to as you said body boundaries and safety verbal and nonverbal cues developing a sense of self and personal strength and self-determination so that kids can be um, solid in the knowledge that their desires, wants and needs are as important as anybody else's. You know, understanding that yes or no should be shared. It shouldn't just be uh, um, that one person is the gatekeeper of the yes or the no. So, for example, in one of the chapters... Um, The two two friends encourage Kit to watch a scary movie when they know that scary movies give her nightmares and she stays Mm. up and she can't sleep. They shouldn't have even suggested that scary movie for her, for her to have to be the gatekeeper of the yes or no. And if you think of the sexual analogies, those intimate encounters, I started with what do we want these young people to know so that they're not ending up with these non-consensual encounters? What should they have been taught throughout? Um, but yeah, someone, who'd an adult who'd read the story, and this was the idea, there's a whole lot of resources on the website that come with the book um, for adults, just to teach adults who've never had this education. Um, and yeah, someone I know stood up and said, you know, um, something that was missing in a conversation with one of their friends, they were able to stand up for themselves because they keep wood, so they did too.
3: <laughs>
4: I love that.
0: And why was now the right time to put this book out there?
4: Well, <laughs> the timing was, de- it was uh, from the universe, I'm sure. It was a year ago and I was in a classroom with five-year-olds and um, I have just taught them about hugging and permission and body boundaries and all the things and this little five-year-old dot of a thing, she's colouring her body boundary sheet and I walked past and she said... I'm so glad you taught me about that hugging thing. I just hug anyone whenever I want to. And oh, her little wow. friend said, yeah, does, you know, exasperated. Wow. And I thought, we can teach consent to little kids. I was successfully teaching it. Literally that day, Ingrid rang and said, would you like to write a book on consent? It's like, what? <laughs> and yes, I would. <laughs> and then the publisher um, saw me do a parent education session and contacted me the next day and said, wow, that was amazing. Would you like to write a book? Related to consent, and I said, Well, I've actually got something on the go. So, the timing, it's something I've always wanted to do teaching sexuality, respectful relationships, and consent education in classrooms from prep to year 12. I just knew there's a better way, and we just weren't addressing the key topics that all genders, all of our kids need. And more than 75% of teachers have never had any training in sexuality, consent, and respectful relationships. Education, let alone parents being taught. So yeah. the idea is there's the book and they read it in the classroom. Parents can read it too. And in the back is extended learning questions. So, you know, to extend out the conversation. So you can leave it just at that or go over to the website and for teachers there's 13 lessons to use in the classroom. There's 13 two-page topics for all the adults to read to learn about consent um, and we can do better. So it's interesting, though, because
3: parents are coming from, and teachers are coming from whatever they were taught, right, which Mm. our generation, I'm going to guess most of us were taught zip um, because our parents were very repressed. Um, It's now I think we're freer in having conversations with our children, I think. Um, most of us perhaps but you know we're coming Mm. with very little understanding so it must start with actually speaking with the adults to say okay what's your understanding and what has your experience been about understanding your
4: sexuality exactly we've got we we've got a long way to go we currently live in a really negative consent culture let's just think about till death well till death do us part oh yes (laughs) that old (laughs) chestnut that old chestnut.
0: No, it's your example.
4: And and, and That's everything when we all we died do. at
0: seventeen, right?
4: <laughs> it's the only way and, out and of every- a marriage is to die. <laughs> well, you know Maybe your marriage. Yeah, so
0: you, you I just committed got
4: divorced. that. So you Exactly. So you, you have to you have to go along with what that entails. You know, everything we do, we don't really have a lot of um, a lot of choice in, a lot of autonomy. For example, one of the body safety uh, lessons that coincide with all of this is how good are we at expecting the kids to kiss and hug all the relatives at the yes. Christmas mm. party?
3: Oh my God, I get so irate about that because my daughters yeah. to, to to my to her father, my husband, you know, they're very tight. But she's yeah. like, no, not not right now. I don't want to be touched right now. And he, there's an element of
4: getting a bit sulky about it. for Okay, him. that's exactly in the adult notes on the website. So I want all the adults to go and read it for us to think about. Um, We're teaching these kids from a young age decision-making skills that will get them through to their intimate encounters later on. So like tickling. They love tickling in certain circumstances. But are you sure yeah. that you're, you've checked with the person that they like their feet being tickled? Maybe they don't. Maybe they like it you to tickle a bit harder or under their arms. Or, But as soon as they say no, we need to respect that. So you should treat really them like a cat. <laughs> 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 well, your cat tells you when they've had enough, exactly, don't they? Exactly. And we respect them. But also, yeah. as I
3: say, it's okay for her to want it sometimes but also not others like you know let's respect her her boundary in that moment as well and which as we all know
4: like that's a critical lesson Ingrid's crafted a beautiful chapter here in about um pizza and dumplings and choosing takeaway but Kit always likes pizza but it started to give her a pain in the tummy and now she doesn't want to have pizza anymore and um she has to speak up and say I can't I can't eat pizza anymore I want to have something else and Arlo says but you liked it last time. Mm. Why don't you want it again? So, again, think of those sexual analogies. Mm. Um, Lego is my favourite chapter. That's a story I use in the classroom all the time. And Ingrid, again, crafted a beautiful way of putting it into the story. I can tell you the Lego story, if you'd like, and hear what the kids say in the classroom. Yeah, very quickly, sure. yes. Yeah, very quickly. So just think of the sexual analogies um, as I'm talking about this. But you're playing Lego and you've, and you've got the Death ship from the op shop and all the pieces and you're building it together and you're so excited. And you're nearly finished and then suddenly your friend says they don't want to play anymore. What are you going to do about that? Mm. And I've had kids in the classroom say, well, I'd punch them. Well, that's (sighs) mean. They have to. They said they would.
3: Oh, they have to finish. You have to finish it. Yeah, Yeah,
4: right. You said you would. You promised. Yeah. And then they sulk or whatever. So we talk about managing disappointments. Okay, to feel disappointed. How are you going to manage that? You should be proud that you gave the space for your friend to say that they didn't want to play anymore. And then the other kids come up and say, well, they don't have to if they don't want to. Um, And we think about what else could they do. They could, one person could finish it, the other person do something else. They can mm. change to a different activity. It's negotiating mutually enjoyable activities ongoing. That starts in the playground. That's got nothing to do with sex, but it sets those decision-making skills up for their journey, for positive, joyful experiences.
0: But when we talk about sex with kids, I think you know that's something that's really hard because a lot of the time, any adult, parents, educators, whatever, they just inwardly cringe and go, oh, I have to talk about sex with this child, mm-hmm. which obviously makes the child feel the same. And then they would, that's just a self-perpetuating thing that it would just carry on down the line. How do we stop that um, embarrassment that just, you know, it's its all
4: pervading? It's easy. We don't talk about sex. uh-. Sex, sexuality <laughs> education for kids. I know that's a broad but I actually, in my parent sessions, I talk about how I think the word sex is really unhelpful. It's so limited. What should we call what it then? Human sexuality, which is so broad. It's about relationships. Um, it's about growing up. It's about body changes. Sex has only a tiny little bit to do with learning about human sexuality, which is lifelong from birth to death um and and yet we let it stop us having these conversations people worry that kids are going to lose their innocence learning about human sexuality Mm. as though it's taboo or negative or shameful but it's not it's learning about being human they'll lose their innocence if something happens to them that they didn't know about Mm. um, or they didn't want to happen so my key message to adults to parents who do you want to be the main person who delivers this um, content to your child about each topic of sex and sexuality you want it to be you so you need to get him first because they're getting a sexuality message every day from the world around them
3: that is a very um that's a sobering thing to hear mm. you know and I think something that all parents need to be aware of what, so I mean the sexuality also I think is something that
4: people don't assume children have mm. which actually isn't true right that's not true there's there's typically expected sexual development and behavior from birth onwards and as soon as we acknowledge that then we can respond positively rather than negatively but that's something we've never learned and it starts from naming body parts when you're you know nappy changes and in the bath in a Mm shame-free way um understanding who can touch their bodies when they're learning to go to the toilet who can and who can't um learning about reproduction, because it's an amazing story how humans reproduce. It's only for adult minds and bodies only, but it's an amazing story um, and it's how humans reproduce and kids are usually fine with it. Kids are fine with diversity, um, sexual diversity in the classroom. We talk about um, biological sex um, not matching gender. Um, All those things that we're learning about, especially even puberty, adults just struggle to talk to their kids about their changing bodies, you know, And some of the education lessons out there in the world talk about surviving puberty. It should be about celebrating it Mm -hmm. and us thinking of a positive journey through life for our kids. So I say to parents, do a bit of soul searching and research um, and practice to be the main educator for your kids. You can do this.
3: Yes. And, I, you know, I have to say that there are definitely adults that um, I've heard comment about conversations around consent and how we, we now talk about this. Um, uh, uh, what, what's the term you actually used it um, uh enthusiastic consent Um, and I heard some uh, more senior gentlemen um, on a media sort of outlet, you know, having a laugh about how, oh, what are you supposed to say? I don't know what it was, to be honest. (laughs) I can't remember. But it was, you know, it was this kind of, oh, it sounds ridiculous. What are you going to talk? What are you going to get someone to agree? Is this okay? Is this okay? And I'm like, have they ever had a really good sexual encounter? Because that is so deeply sexy when you start talking in that kind
4: of way with (laughs) someone. No. Don't you I mean, think? I, I actually think they're adding themselves as terrible lovers because yeah, yeah. those who know know that two people I mean people we had our suspicions anyway, awesome even before fun. that conversation. <laughs> but yes. <yeah, sorry>. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. And it's about and you teach young kids when two people are really enjoying that activity of playing in the sandpit, you can have the most fun yeah, yeah. you know you know when you know um, and we don't talk for the older kids we need to talk more about pleasure we need to talk more about the fact that that amazing intimate encounter where two people are into it you know you know and we do give them all the strategies of consent yes and nos of verbal and nonverbal cues but um, when it's just so sex, sexuality negative we need to be more positive joyful respectful connection and unfortunately they're learning from pornography. I won't say the TV shows will. I TV shows advertising, you know, that bubble is just um, filling their minds. When the bubble needs to come from the classroom and from home, and hopefully complementing each other. And yes. how
0: do we teach them about pornography? Because you know, Joe's got a thirteen-year-old. Mm. I've got an almost thirteen-year-old. Mm. And these things, if they haven't already um, come up, so to speak, is that the wrong mm. term to use? Mm. Um, then, then they're about to. How do we um, prepare them? I suppose. Mm.
4: Well, you do need to prepare them. Unfortunately, it exists. We can't pretend that it doesn't. Um, Number one is talk about amazing, respectful, connected, fantastic, love, whatever, relationships till the cows come home so that they can almost see the comical nature of it when they do see it. You're constantly calling out song lyrics on the radio. Oh, that's so disrespectful. Why would he say that about his Mm. his girlfriend? You know, and that's talking about that. But you do need to say there's images on the internet of naked people um, and images of sex that are unrealistic uh, and and you know they're like they're like um, they're actors. They're paid to do that. Well, not everyone's paid, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, you want them to be conscientious consumers of that industry too. Do you really want to for the older ones? Do you want to be a consumer of an industry where people are exploited and sex trafficked? And is everyone being paid? And is everyone safe? Um, and so you talk about movies. You know. When you watch a movie scene and everyone's speeding and buses crashing and flames, that's not really how you drive a car. Well, pornography's the same. It's made extreme mm. so people buy it and look mm. at it. Interesting. Yeah. So my... them. never punish them for telling you that they've come across it. No. You will yes. not have the iPad taken off you. I will not stop your game. You need to come and tell me.
3: I really love your use of analogy. I think it's very powerful, Vanessa. Yeah. And um, you know, we've had lots of comments and, and so adults are really responsible, obviously, in in this conversation and in not really just, you know, fucking up our kids by being really weird about you mm. know, their choices and their boundaries that Ooh. kids are instinctually aware of. We just have to give them the language. We Tracy, you're saying my mum always said I was a cold child because I didn't like physical contact. <gasps> I'm still very selective as to who can come into my space. It's so, oh, that's interesting. Oh, you know, so yeah. this poor little, I can imagine little Tracy feeling Me. that shame that's because awful. she was, Me. you know, expressing a part of her. Anyway, Stacey also who joins us uh, on Facebook says, what an incredible resource. I will be buying your book. And Vanessa, I also will be buying your book. It's fantastic. <laughs> I really commend you. Um, it's, it's wonderful. So thanks again for your
4: amazing work. And thanks for the opportunity. Thanks.
0: Broad Radio, talking info we love, info we need and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday 9am Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8BROAD catch up on demand anytime anywhere every time everywhere on the train we'll be here 2am existential crisis (laughs) we've got you covered broad radio
3: here for more Well, most of us have had COVID or possibly the flu as well. Some at the same time, I'm learning. Uh, The question is, how do we get back to feeling fit again and uh, strong and perhaps exercising? I don't know. Uh, What's (laughs) that? It's a bit (laughs) (laughs) hard. Um, To help us move our bodies, Uh, we are joined by Camilla Griffin, physiotherapist specialising in rehab. Hi there, Camilla. Camilla.
1: Good morning
3: to you both. Thanks for having me on the show. All righty. So what do we look out for if we're jumping back into exercise after any kind of illness? Because at the moment, my gosh, there's so much around. Mm.
1: There is. And a lot of us have been through COVID and some of us now also have the flu, as you mentioned. I think for me, the first thing I just wanna do is just recap the benefits of exercise to your audience. Um, I think some of us have forgotten through the pandemic uh, what we can get out of exercise. Um, So it's really, exercise is all about improving your memory and your brain function, that's about all age groups. It's about protecting against chronic diseases, aiding in your weight management, lowering your blood pressure, improving your heart health, your quality of sleep, and also those feelings of anxiety and depression. So we know that exercise is good for us, um, but unfortunately for a lot of us since the pandemic or since we've had COVID, we haven't returned back to exercise at the level we were at um, or even close to the level we were at. Um, I guess the difficulties that I see across my clients is that people are really unsure about how to return back. Um, knowing when to return back, the type of exercise to do. Uh, a lot of people have feelings of concern about what impact it may have to their health if they return back to exercise after COVID. And, and I do often have a lot of clients who are quite have feeling quite disheartened about not being able to return back to exercise at their pre-COVID levels.
3: You, yeah. say, you give us all the benefits of exercise, but yeah. I, I wonder why. Like we all know exercise is good for us, but we still don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I yeah. just like, why is it? Even though I know all that, I make the choice to sit on a couch instead. You do not look yeah. like you sit on a couch all day. <laughs> not all day, but a lot of the time. like, I should be going for a run. I know I'll never regret it, but the actual getting out the door, God, yeah. that's hard. That's the hardest bit. Mm, yeah,
1: It is hard. And we all live really busy, demanding lives, and, and being able to fit it in into our day can often be a struggle, but also that convincing yourself to do it. I think what I often tell my clients is, have a moment of pause and ask yourself, well, why aren't you engaging in exercise? What is stopping you walk out the door? And I ask them to put pen to paper and have a think about what is the value that you're getting, not just physically, but emotionally and psychologically from exercise and have a think and reflect on, well, what's the exercise I'm telling my body to do? So as you mentioned, going for a run, well, something's stopping me from doing that. So have a moment of reflection and think about what can I do to make that a more enjoyable experience? So is it changing the mode of exercise I do? Perhaps running's no longer, you know, connecting with me. Perhaps I want to do yoga, pilates, We're now in in a post-COVID or post-pandemic period where a lot of us are behind screens. So perhaps going to the gym indoors doesn't really resonate as well as it did pre-pandemic. So is it about changing your exercise routine to be outdoors, um, connecting in with group exercises because we are feeling a lot more isolated than we did pre-pandemic? I also really encourage people to link in their hobbies and leisure. Um, So for me personally, um, my son is really um, into reptiles. So what my family have done is incorporated that into our exercise routine to enable us to exercise, but also get some enjoyment from hobbies and leisure activities at the same time.
0: Hmm. You know, they say that it takes um, two weeks to break a habit. And my gym habit was well and truly annihilated (laughs) Um, I didn't get COVID I'm very lucky that I didn't but I don't think it's necessarily just down to COVID it was to do with lockdown because you were in lockdown Mm. whether you had COVID or not but Mm. your brain has gotten used to not going Mm. to the gym so when lockdown finished I absolutely just forgot that I had a gym membership totally forgot how do you get your brain to remember that it's just this non-negotiable part of your day
1: I think it's about, as I mentioned, finding that benefit, seeing what it does. What, how does it add value to your day? Um, so, pre-pandemic, you mentioned you went to the gym. It's about you reflecting individually about. What did I get from that experience? I'm all about ensuring that we engage in activities that add value to our day. And yes, keeping up with it on a regular basis will enhance that routine and enable you to continue. But I really think it's about what was the value I got and what is missing from my life currently. And usually it's that that I think helps people form or reform that habit to go back to the gym. A lot of people since COVID, however, aren't really sure how to return back to exercise Mm. um, because they do experience a reduction in their physical exercise tolerance post COVID. Um, So for me, it's really about ensuring that you follow the guidelines. Um, So the Australasian College of Sports Physicians and Exercise Physicians issued guidelines, and essentially they provide um, us with some really good guidelines on how to return back to exercise safely. And what the guidelines say is that even if you had low-risk patients or patients with really mild or no symptoms at all, um, the advice is really to return back to exercise quite gradually. So only after 10 days of proper rest uh, from the onset of your symptoms or at least seven days without symptoms. So
3: because there's a lot of people I'm finding who are like they're um, fatigued but also they Mm. are finding their breathing is compromised Mm. and so they're fearful of exercising. Mm. Mm.
1: They are, look, Absolutely. And I think if you are returning back to exercise, the things that I would be looking out for that is really a signal to pause and, and stop and seek advice from your doctor would be things like if you experience abnormal levels of fatigue or exhaustion, uh, breathlessness, racing heart, dizziness, um, a cough. Um, certainly all of those things, are. it's about pausing and seeking advice from your doctor about how you would gradually return back to exercise. If you have other health issues um, after COVID or pre-COVID you have those health issues, so com- comorbidities like heart disease, joint disease, blood pressure disorders, um, certainly my recommendation is to seek medical advice even before you resume exercise. Um, if you are sort of falling outside of that group of, of patients, then it's really about returning to exercise quite gradually. So I think even just a light walk, 15 mm. minutes a day, stationary bike. I, I really am an advocate for for exercises in the pool. So hydrotherapy, walking in the water. Um, but I also think as, as busy professionals, we're also doing activities at home that is essentially exercise. So sweeping, vacuuming, spring cleaning, that's all light activity that we can do to gradually build up our tolerance. And for me, it's about as you are returning to exercise, really reflect in the moment you're doing the exercise, but also after it, how does my body feel? Do I think I can comfortably progress? And if so, perhaps add another 15 minutes onto your next workout. Um, but take it slowly.
3: And also, I and this is something I've learned partly through COVID but, and in lockdown, but partly now that I'm uh, 50 in a month what um, I just view exercise differently now I'm not doing it because mm. I want to be a certain mm. size or a certain shape mm. I'm doing it because oh, it's, it's a privilege to me mm. to still be able to move my body like I kind of think what a joy mm. to actually Absolutely. go how does this feel in the moment that's mm. the reason mm. to do the exercise that's I've, it that's exactly right I'm still right. watching the scale and- I'm I'm like down
0: to the milligram of what's happening. I want
1: to free you from that, doll. I want to free you
3: from that.
1: Yeah, I I tend to agree. For me, it is really about enjoying it. It is a privilege to exercise, and it's about think. I always think quite holistically about exercise because we can just think about it. How's this improving my cardiovascular or strength? But for me, it's also about how does this. How does this make me feel? How how does this make me feel? I want to feel powerful. I want to feel strong. I want to Mm. feel emotionally and mentally strong. Um, So for me, it's about how does this exercise add the most value to my day? Um, And also sometimes for me, it's about reflecting how does this exercise routine add the most value to my family? Because I'm a big believer of incorporating exercise into my family life. Um, because they go hand in hand for me. So I often reflect pre-pandemic and I'd see, you know, I worked in an office and we'd all rush down at 12.30 to quickly fit in our gym routine. And it was a mad dash. We'd run to the bathrooms, we'd quickly get dressed, we'd rush down, we'd do our little 20-minute workout, then we'd quickly have a shower and race back. And I think, well, yes, I can tick the cardiovascular and the and the resistance training boxes, but I felt stressed, I felt tired, I felt pressured to get back to work. So I think it's about, well, Choose the exercise that makes you feel your best self. Um, and you're right, to your point, it is a privilege and it's shifting that mindset that I feel you get the most out of your workouts.
0: I remember yes. those days when uh, we'd all run down from the office at <laughs> lunchtime, but that was to make sure that we got the uh, chicken schnitzel baguette before they all run up. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, before I let you go, Camilla, we've had numerous requests to see your snake. <laughs>
1: Oh
3: yes, is the the family
1: snake there yes yes so by way of background I think I mentioned to you that I'm a big believer of incorporating my exercise into my family life Um, my son he's four he loves reptiles so we thought um, we essentially incorporate um, visiting a reptile park um, as part of our weekend um, and one of the things that we ended up getting as a result is a snake and I can certainly get her for you just bear with me (laughs) she's right next to me Hello, Natalie. Her name is Natalie. Natalie. She actually can't. Yes, I, I was going for Slinky or something like that. But my son wanted a third child and I, I had to sort of let it to him that Mummy and daddy are stopping it too. Um, So he wanted his third child was going to be Natalie, wanted another sister. So we, we settled on Snake. That's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, I'll get her. I She's beautiful. She's one years old. Um, for us, yeah, she's She's really added a lot of value to our life um, because we're out and about at a reptile park, exercising and being outdoors. And you know, as my son always says, life feels better outdoors. Um, so for us, it's you know, incorporating Natalie, our snake, and into our exercise routine. I'll get her for you just now. She's no literally worries. right next to me. Oh, Hang on, oh, wait
3: to God. meet Natalie the snake. I know our human names for pets oh, are the best. God, We've I had God, a few comments there. <laughs> I know someone who has a dog called Paul, which I'm find... trying
1: to. <laughs> really she's she can't hear me she oh, can only hear vibrations I but I like to think she there she is you say hello hi Natalie yeah, she's a good let's gal. get her on a
3: full screen there Beck, can you get her on a full oh, screen oh so
0: she's,
3: she's beautiful let's, she's, she's
0: beautiful
1: see, oh. there she is hello oh. Natalie oh. she's you, need a good gal. Her, um...
0: you need to get her a little friend I think
1: Oh, I know. Well, we went all out with her um, Her home. I feel I'm one of those people, if I'm going to have someone in an enclosure, I'm going to make it absolutely beautiful. Um, but, yes, she um – yeah, she. Oh, although there is a cat who looks out our window all the time at her and I'm just trying to keep the two a bit separated. <laughs> <The cat>? um,
0: <laughs> One of those is not coming uh, back.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> that's it. So they're in separate rooms. But, no, she's, look, she's added a lot of value and I think, you know, for us that's a way to keep exercising. We go out to the reptile park. My son loves it, my daughter does, my husband and I. So, yeah.
3: Oh, thank thank that is so me. great. Oh, Lesson. Camilla, yeah. can I tell you, there's been a lot of uh, talk on the socials about Natalie. I've got... <laughs> People are saying I would be exercising too if I had a snake. I'd be running away from it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, whatever it is to keep you moving, I must admit when I'm I always thought, thought our family pet would be a Labrador. This mm. was a bit of a shock, um, <laughs> but you know the pandemic does weird things to you, and you know yes. we've shaped, changed things up a little bit, and it's probably for the better. Well, um, Katri-
3: so. Katrina is saying that that's freaking her out, but I must say I, I love I love uh, Natalie, oh, oh, and she's, uh, she sorry. is I, she's, I, she's
1: not venomous.
3: No, I have a Labrador and let me tell you, um, I've lost a lot of shoes to the Labrador and I imagine (laughs) Natalie Natalie is not chewing your shoes.
1: No, she's not. And look, for us, she's, she's like very mindful for us. So if I'm, you know... Having a, a busy, stressful moment in my day, or my husband is, or even my child—you know—for his own um, behaviors, it's really settling for him. Um, she's just a really calming pet for him, and um, wow. for me as well. Probably makes me a better person too. Having a moment, <laughs> letting her crawl through me. So it's
3: amazing. That's Natalie, well, thanks, Cam- thanks, Camilla, <laughs> thanks and thanks, Natalie.
1: <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. I just sort of say before I go to all your listeners, look. Um, Everyone's experience with COVID is very different. So um, my top tip is listen to your own body. Be really patient and forgiving. Um, don't compare yourself to others. You've got this when it comes to returning to exercise, but you just focus on you and stay in your own lane and, and you'll just get back to, to your exercise when your body is ready. Mm, I love it. Great th- words.
3: Philosophy for life. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Camilla. Take care. bye guys. <laughs> wow, that was a first on broad radio know, to be joined by a snake. Um, it's been delightful. Hey, I did. Ask, I was going to ask you about being on reality TV from one snake to another. <laughs> well, I was with six of them. <laughs> Real Housewives of Melbourne was quite um, an interesting experience for you. I. Hmm, no. Interesting. Mm. Yes, mm. there's that word again. Yeah. Yes, look,
0: uh, it's no secret that I loathed every single moment and I would rather staple my tongue to a moving train than ever <laughs> go back there again. <laughs> but, but, but I am a world first. I did quit in my first season. No Housewife has ever done that before. Um, so I'm very proud of that. And um, I got all the headlines. So it made it worth it. Have you felt that people
3: like if people said to you did you imagine it would be any different
0: I did because I, I can look back now and say naively, um, believed what I was told by um, the producer who recruited me, because I said, absolutely not. They came after me hard, really hard. And I said, absolutely not. I will not be in a show like that. No, 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 Angelie, It's not going to be like that anymore. Nobody wants that. You know, the world is a kind of place. That was my favorite one. Um, mm. And I believed her. Mm. and when I went into it it didn't take me long to realise that I'd been egregiously lied to I don't like being lied to so Mm. um, I did what I had to do which was to uh, take my leave uh, (laughs) in a very dramatic fashion but I did come away with um, two fantastic friends so two of the other housewives um, Kyla and Cherry are my heart and my soul we're super super close Mm. the others know where they can go
3: Okay. Um, two other questions I think people often say is how can you possibly forget that the cameras are there when you're on reality TV? Um,
0: I can't speak for other people, but for me, my entire professional life has been in front of the cameras um, from the age of 22. Um, you know, I was a television journalist um, for you know decades. So for me, it's just normal. It's like well does anything ever happen if the cameras aren't there? Did it mm. really happen? I don't mm. think so. <laughs> so for me, it's just, it's as easy for them to be there as it is for them not to be there. It's It doesn't factor in my mind at all. But I think for people who aren't used to TV, it's probably incredibly confronting um, and, and a very difficult thing to get your head around. Not just the cameras, but the aftermath these days of um, the hate that comes towards you on reality TV Hmm. it's just horrendous Um, and again being in the media you are more used to it Um, albeit this is a a different level Um, but I think it would be just so damaging for people who are not used to being in the public eye. Oh God, it just, it's terrifying. And,
3: and I guess that leads to my last question is around the, um, I suppose, the psychological care that perhaps you feel you should have. Do you receive it going into something like that? And is yeah. there an understanding of that there's some kind of need for responsibility for the people who <laughs> subject oh, themselves as absolutely you know, members of this cast? Oh, sure. So um, we had, you know, the
0: <laughs> psychologist on speed dial mm-hmm. for all of us, um, but... If anything horrendous happened, which it frequently did, but a lot of it was not seen um, in the finished product. Strangely, it's usually the other way around. It's like, they make it look more, you know, more nasty. In our case, it was more nasty that they had to make it look like it was less so. Um, But we all, I'm, I'm sure all of us, took full advantage of um, Karen the psychologist, mm-hmm. who was fantastic, but no matter what happened, how much, you know, people were lying on the floor quivering wreck, it was, oh, don't worry. You can, Karen the psychologist is on speed dial. Yeah, just call Karen the psychologist. Mm-hmm. So um, it was much more a, uh, um, oh, we'll let it all happen, but you know, you just get fixed up with the psychologist afterwards, where, you know, I think a product like that, they give you um, a plaster, when, you know, what the whole thing needs is open heart surgery. Um, So that's, it's a sort of, oh, well, you know, we won't do prevention. We'll just do cure and hope for the best. Yeah. Um, I think all reality shows are like that. You do have, you know, you've got to have your mental health experts on standby because it messes with your mind to um, an absolutely insane level.
3: And there's a suggestion that that lasts that should last for, you know, considerable time after the show finishes and that's not always been the case. There's been terrible instances overseas where people have been not cared for
0: afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah, Um, yeah, some of them have just been horrendous when, Mm. you know, people have taken their own lives Mm. and I can actually imagine how that would happen. Mm. You do, you can get into a very dark space. I did. I got into a really, really bleak space in my head going, this is a terrible look for me. Um, and if they'd been honest in the first place, then I wouldn't have had to completely annihilate the whole production schedule mm. by quitting. <laughs> but now I realise it was the best thing I could have done. Um, I'm, I'm sorry for putting, you know, the crew out. Um, I really am. But uh, it was my only option at the time. And now I'm left with all these damn
3: sequins. What <laughs> gonna do with those oh my god if anybody (laughs) wants some sequins give me a call you can never have too many sequins in your life so um you sworn off reality tv no 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 Mm. no no, not at all not at all (laughs) just that
0: one (laughs) um no I do have another huge project um, that is happening very soon that I'm super excited about I've also never been more scared in my life but um, I'm I can't wait until I can talk about it Mm -hmm. Um, and also I have written my own reality show because you kind of have to these days. <laughs> it's like nobody's paying for scripted anymore. So if you want to, you know, be in TV, you've got to write your own reality show. Yep. But I have. It's world first. Uh, it's uh, said not been done anywhere. It's a global concept and it's getting a lot of attention. And mm. I am absolutely thrilled. And it's not nasty.
3: Oh, I know. Just like broad radio, never nasty. Exactly. Actually, that was going to be one of our, <laughs> one of our bylines. Broad really? radio, never nasty. I love it. Yes. Oh, yeah. well, you know, coming from commercial radio, that uh, sometimes is, it's bread and butter. So mm. I'm like, mm, not anymore. Yep. Dallin, thanks so much for being on Broad Radio Anytime. today. Such a pleasure. And I know that you'll be back when you can fit us into your crazy schedule. Oh, I so. certainly will. Thanks. I count the moments. Yeah, oh, thanks, love. And uh, we'll be back. Oh, actually, no, we won't be back next week. We're going to take a little one-week break whilst uh, we have school holidays and maybe some of us will get some sunshine or just a very well-deserved sleep. Um, so we'll be back in two weeks. We'll see you then. I'm gonna mix